0: everyone welcome back to the shea station podcast brought to you by john boy media it's an at-home episode because the john boy offices are closed until the first week of january so i'm at my humble abode and of course joining me as always is jerome belvins the former right-hander for the new york nets jerry how you doing today man
1: (laughs) i'm great this is always an at-home episode for me
0: that's true you're not really switching it up
1: yeah, the uh, I've been to the John Boy offices one time. It was a mm-hmm. great time, but we didn't even record a Shea Station, which is
0: I know they had you on the pack schedule. They had to get you on all the big shows. I think that's really what they're
1: looking had uh, a, to. I had a blast, man. You like the the company's full of just great people, awesome shows, uh, exciting stuff. And so it's nice to to be back on Shea Station, though. Uh, your boy Jerome, the righty. <laughs>
0: I think I got to come up with a new fake name for you, like every episode.
1: For, my Jerry Blevins is a fake name. I, I have a whole other life that you have no idea about.
0: So we uh, got the second half of our draft coming today. If you do, if you listen to our last Shay Station, we did the all time Mets pitchers draft. A lot of people liked it. A lot of people replied, uh, disgusted that we didn't take certain players like Ron Darling.
1: Understandable. I get it. But also I understand. I don't understand how you beat me so badly.
0: I, I mean, I thought it was going to be, I thought I had the edge, but I thought it was going to be like 55, 45, not like 75, 25, you know? Yeah. You dominated. I got to step my game up.
1: I'm, I'm thinking, I'm thinking larger scale. I'm excited to get into the draft. I've been doing homework the last couple of days. I'm still going to pick the team that I want, that I value. There's certain things to an organization. You know, I may not, I'm not going to give up my, my own personal beliefs to try to appease an audience because this is, this is my team. But uh, yeah, I, I feel like I'm going to do well. I, and again, a lot of it weighs on first pick, second pick,
0: all that stuff. So yeah, we'll do our number generator again, but I'm glad that you've been doing your homework. Cause I mean, I, I laid out the spreadsheet, but I'm still a little murky on who I'm going to take at the top because there's like, certain positions you got to tackle first like i don't i don't even think that david wright might go in the first two because like third base you got a couple good options
1: well he's going to go in the first two picks most likely because you you got a you got a snake draft so whoever goes first the second one is two three if it gets i'll tell you what yeah okay all right that's good all right uh you know you know i've been doing my research you see the yellow, yellow legal pad love that we're, we're doing things it's actually a two-pager no big deal no
0: way show me the second page i need it let's see it
1: just uh <laughs> just uh the, the starter here the, oh okay got gotcha, you gotcha. gotcha.
0: fully loaded though but uh, like
1: yeah man yeah i i i take that i value this draft you know from an organization standpoint but from an audience standpoint they want us to to know what we're talking about and so uh, of course i had general knowledge of every player that we're going to talk about. Uh, But I wanted to do a deep dive. I even like I had spent up too many time, like too much time on like the third or fourth guys on this list out of respect for them, because we're only two people. We're only doing, we're only going to pick the first two. Uh, But I, I, I went, I went a little bit deeper. I feel like I'm on my way to, to becoming a, a Mets historian.
0: Yeah, some guys will definitely get snubbed just because it's competitive and only 18 guys can go. We're also going to pick a manager. That was like a late-time decision for me. I just thought it would be fun. There's a lot of good Mets managers.
1: Last night, it was like, hey, what do you think? I think it's great.
0: Before we can get to all that, though, we do have actually some Mets news to uh, talk about, surprisingly enough, because I thought after the Buck news happened that things would kind of just cool off, and, you know, we'd have the rest of the lockout to kind of just muddle around and do fun episodes like this, but there are trade rumors circulating the Mets even during the lockout when you're not really supposed to be talking about trades. I don't know how okay that is, but the Mets are just going to do what the Mets are going to do. It's Jeff McNeil circulating in uh, trade rumors. The Mets are shopping him, putting him on the trade block. Nothing concrete has come forth. No offers have been made or anything like that because he can't right now. But certainly a lot of speculation from both the Mets and their fans. And before we get into like landing destinations or possible return packages, I just want to get your raw thoughts because I was genuinely surprised that the Mets are willing to give up on Jeff McNeil this soon.
1: Uh, again, it's, it's pure speculation, but the fact like the I don't know what it is about the Mets. I love I'm I love I'm on this. I love the Mets, but they need to slow down on the like the leaks to the press because it does it isn't always Adventist for you to just let it out, and and right now it's it's not good at all because you're you're breaking rank here in a sense though of, of this lockout. You're not supposed to talk about players for a reason, and and there's there's no negotiating going on now. It just makes you it's the players are simple commodities that are tradable. You know what I mean? And so it, to me, it just puts a damper on things. I'll put that aside. I want to talk about Jeff McNeil the player. Is that okay? Do you want to get into it? All right. So, I love the style of baseball that Jeff McNeil brings. I think he is a special style of player. Um his bat-to-ball contact, low strikeouts, versatility in the defense, but mostly it's his offense, the way he he just puts the ball in play. He's got some pop. Um high contact like it's a throwback and I think I think his style of baseball is going to come back kind of full circle. He's like a Japanese player right now, to be honest. Like, guys, you know, Jap- Japan is starting to, to be a little bit more power-friendly now again. Like, they're, they're ebbs and flows of baseball, the evolution of the game. Um, but he's like a throwback contact guy. And when you mix that into today's environment where it's so rare, it's like a, people don't understand how to approach it. And when I face guys like him, those are the ones that gave me the most headache. Because I know if I'm facing a guy that's going to hit a home run, he's always trying to hit a home run no matter what count there is. I know if I execute what I'm trying to do, he's going to get himself out because he only hits mistakes for the most part. But it's the guys like McNeil that keep you on your toes that make a make a pitcher think more. They make you throw more pitches. They still do damage. And it's just a frustrating mix. And that, that's the grittiness. I love that style. I think... On the other side of the coin, he's very immature as a human being, like as a player. He's screaming and cussing all the time. He doesn't understand his at-bats or hasn't understood where his individual at-bats fit in the scheme of the game. Your team's winning 8 nothing. you You're 3-for-3, three three, and then you line out for your fourth at-bat, and you're slamming your helmet down. Have an understanding of the context. That stuff wears you down overall. It's an immaturity thing that I think is he's able to overcome at some point. I think that's what leadership does. That's what a guy like Buck Showalter is brought in to do is to be like, hey man, what the F are you doing? You're acting like a little kid. You know what I mean? And so I think I would be sad to see McNeil go, especially for pennies on the dollar because he's a special skill player. His stock, like his trade value is so low right now because he had he had such a down year. But I think he still brings enough to the table. I would like to see him stick around to see if he can't iron out some of the maturity issues and get over trying to hit home runs all the time and just get to what he does and and evolve as a player and, and mature and become the elite. He was elite. like He was great his first two years. Um, he can get back to that. Baseball's hard. You, you get humbled. But I I think it would be a bad idea to trade him now with his stock so low, because I think you would regret it when he develops back into or even evolves more as a player and you kind of see what could have been.
0: Yeah, I mean, I pretty much agree with everything you said. I mean, the, the first thing I want to tackle is that this is technically McNeil's lowest value. That being said, McNeil's value is still going to be high if the Mets do pursue these trades because he is a talented player. I mean, from 2018 to 2020, he's got the 139 OPS plus a 319 batting average average really really underrated player he was an all-star in 2019 and I think what you said about him trying to hit home runs and him trying to be the slugger really contributes back to that 2019 season where everybody knows that those balls were juiced up just a little bit um and he was he managed to hit 23 home runs that was never really the power he displayed in the minor leagues that was not the prospect that he was lined up to be it just kind of turned out to be a happy accident that way In 2021, I feel like he was slugging a bit more. His strikeout totals were up and he didn't look like the same player, but he still has that positional versatility. He was really serviceable in left and of course in the infield. And I think, yeah, a big contributing reason is probably that hotheadedness. We don't know what happened with Rat Raccoon. I feel like we bring it up every episode.
1: Yeah, but that's it's just part of, it just shows you First of all, I love that rat raccoon, but it shows you there's there's a level of of denying accountability. It's a maturity thing. We're we're you're a grown man on the field. This is also a job. So if you're not pulling your weight, whether it's it's being in the right position defensively, um, you you're gonna be able to. You should take it from a teammate saying, "Dude, you gotta get your shit together, man. This is we need you here." After so many times of you seeing frustration on Lindor's face, this is again complete I, I don't know anything I, I it's speculation on my part but it was like Lindor's like you got to do this and he's like whatever you know what I mean that, that
0: impersonation was spot on man
1: you know I don't I do whatever I want you know I do, I'm doing I'm fine and then he's like no you need to get to the fucking position excuse my language this is you know but this is a it's like dude do your job I'm telling you this like I, I, I've let it slide just assuming that you're going to get it back but you're not own it Say like, my bad, like I need to work on this. It's There's nothing wrong with that. But it's also, he's a young man. And baseball's a game. It's hard to mature. Sometimes, you know, confidence and cockiness and laziness, like there's, it's just, it's an evolution. You get to see people grow up in in the game of baseball. I still think he's going to be an amazing player. He's a nice guy. I like him as a person, just as a player, there's some things that he needs to iron out and grow up. Uh, I still, I don't want to, I want him on my team. If, if that's, you know, as, as harsh as I've been on him as a, as a critic, I really would like him to stay on the Mets because I think he's a great player or could be again. Um, so I don't want to see him traded, but I also, you know, depending on how this roster shapes up and stuff, I understand the thought process because somebody has going to go, you got to give, you know, I think, I think it's, To me, the biggest hiccup here is the Robbie Cano contract right now. That's a lot
0: of money. It ties things up. I mean, you can't trade Cano because no one's going to want him, and he's on that albatross of a contract. And whatever you get back probably won't be worth it. So Cano is here to stay, whether he's a left-handed DH or he's off the bench or what have you. But that does mean that a spot in the lineup will be taken up by him. And that kind of discourages guys like J.D. Davis and Jeff McNeil.
1: Louis Guillorme, yeah. Louis
0: Guillorme is going to lose playing time. Dom Smith is going to lose playing time because it's going to be it's a good problem to have when you have too many serviceable hitters. But at the same time, Jeff McNeil is a starting caliber player who came off a down year last year. Jeff McNeil was not the Jeff McNeil that we know and love from three years past last year. And whatever reason that is, it's just a fact of it at this point. And I understand why the Mets are sort of motivated to move him if the package is right. It's just it's upsetting because, I mean, really encouraging stuff from McNeil the past three years. He was not a top prospect. He kind of just came out and blossomed. Uh, in that way. And it, it, it feels like we're giving up too soon. He's going into his age 30 season. I don't, uh, I got to check when he's hitting free agency, but I don't think uh, it's hitting anytime soon. No, earliest free agent is 2025. So he's still got years on that contract, arbitration, and all that. So I mean, whatever team is getting him, you're getting a team controlled player that can play four different positions and slap the ball all across the field. And that's something I'd want on my team. If the Mets, fill the hole somehow or get another hitter uh in that way, then okay, I guess it's just it's bittersweet because we are really saying goodbye to the core that failed before because we know that Confortos probably not coming back and McNeil being the next one to follow. That's two of the three figureheads along with Peter uh Pete Alonzo that just aren't going to be on the Mets next year.
1: Yeah, man. It's 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 a strange thing to think about. Here's how I would view the trade. Like there, there's you you gave it great context, but simply put I would rather keep McNeil and think about the process of losing whoever I could get in return, whether it's a prospect or, you know, a middle reliever. I think the risk of him falling flat in his career and never being good anymore is worth the risk of him, you know, ascending and, and kind of getting back and even, even being greater because baseball is a strange sport and you develop and you, and you mature and you gain experience and 30 years old in in NFL you're if you're a running back 25 you're you're ancient you know and and baseball it's different man it's a different style of athleticism and I think McNeil's abilities is worth the roll of the dice to to sit on so
0: so the question then becomes what teams would happily welcome his services I've seen a few float around that make a lot of sense to me the one that everyone seems to be talking about is the Cincinnati Reds because they've placed both Uh, Luis Castillo and Sonny Gray on the trading block, two great starting pitchers that the Mets could really benefit from having in their rotation as a number three. Uh, I don't know if the Reds are in win now mode. They're kind of in that murky middle where they don't really have a plan. It seems like, but you know, they kind of fell into a really good team last year that slowed out towards the end. So they would really benefit from McNeil, but I do think if you're going after a guy of Luis Castillo's caliber, it's going to have to include a prospect of some sort. It's not only going to be
1: McNeil. I agree. Um, I, I, again, I don't see the fit there. Just a sense that I don't think that organizationally Cincinnati is ready to make a trade like that. Um, and then they also have Jonathan India sitting there with his beautiful hair and his rookie of the year trophy.
0: He's also a Mets fan. So, I mean, never say never, you know, well, yeah.
1: well, let's do it. Swap.
0: Bring it back, man. <laughs> So we have the Reds there. We also have the one that I think is far more likely if this trade does happen, which is the Chicago White Sox. They are in win now mode. They're at the top of the American League Central, and pretty much the only hole in their lineup that they traded to fill last season uh, was second base. So McNeil would be a really good fit there. The Mets have options there maybe to go after some of that young pitching, but I don't know if the White Sox would want to part with any of those guys. They have a really talented core. Who'd the White Sox have at second base? They had Nick Madrigal who went to the trade in Craig Kimberl to Chicago. And then they filled that hole with Cesar Hernandez, who just went to the Washington Nationals. So that hole is open again yeah. uh, at second base. Did Madrigal get hurt? When he was with the Cubs, because I think he got a few at-bats. Okay.
1: Gotcha. I like him as a prospect. You know, I don't know. I really like Dustin Ackley. Do you remember that name at all? I do
0: remember. He went right after somebody in the draft. He was like the number two overall pick.
1: I remember he he came up in with Seattle and made a splash when I was with Oakland, and I was like, man, this guy can play. He ended up swapping, bouncing around positions. It was kind of a crazy move and never
0: never came back. Who was it? He went right after Steven Strasburg oh, in the wow. 2009 draft. Yeah, there's actually some fun trivia there because the Mariners were lined up to get the number one pick, and Strasburg was this like all-encompassing, sweeping-the-nation prospect the Mariners actually swept their last set of the season to get three more wins and push the nationals above them in the draft. And that's how the nationals got Strasburg. And that's why we have tanking today. And that's why we have tanking (laughs) today. That's
1: exactly right. (laughs) Oh man. That's crazy. By the way, the, well, this is a whole different thing to go. Wasn't it back to back? They got um, Harper one and then Strasburg. I think it was back to back drafts. Yeah. That's, that's a beautiful thing. Good for them. That that's a one-two punch that's pretty incredible. Um, but again, you know, who knows what who knows what Jeff McNeil can get us in return. We won't know anything. I I I don't see the teams are probably talking amongst each other all the time, collusion and, and whatnot. They're like, we just can't talk to the players. We can talk about yeah, him. we can make it official. <laughs> yeah. And then what we'll know all about it because
0: that's what the bets do. They leak it to, to the media. So we'll learn. So we can speculate all day and night. The real thing is that we we have no idea. It could just be a floated rumor to maybe get teams interested. Maybe there's no plan whatsoever. What? So I don't want I don't want a
1: trade. It would be a, I don't think there's a trade out there that would make me happy. Besides, like a you know if you got a Louis Castillo, a Sonny Gray, you know maybe you you send him off to Oakland, which I still think would be a great fit because they've got they like team control for a few years. But I don't I he's about to make money, which they want young because their window isn't three years their windows another they're going to push it another six years but what would it take for you to be happy with the trade what style of trade
0: so the thing with me and Luis castillo is that i really i've said this many times on chase station before i want to protect that our top heavy form system. Because once you start picking at it, it becomes very thin, very fast. We have a really good group of like six guys at the top. And if you trade for Luis Castillo, who is an elite starting pitcher and has been for the past three or four years, you're going to lose one or maybe even two of those guys if you really try to push it. So if there is going to be a McNeil trade, I really want McNeil to kind of be the only guy featured in the trade. I want him to be the piece. And if it's a one for one, or you don't really get the elite starting pitcher you want, that's okay because you have DeGrom and Scherzer at the top and plenty of depth behind them that I'm banking on one or two of those guys haven't bounced back years. So I don't think you need to go get Luis Castillo. I mean, if you're going World Series or bust right now, then I mean, it might be the move, but you're going to have to part with some pieces. So I'd say if McNeil is the only piece, I would feel a lot better about it in my mind.
1: So, yeah. So like a Brett Beatty, Vientos, you know, yeah. Ronnie Mauricio, that you're not, it's not worth, I I agree with you. I like it. That's a good talk. I'm done with McNeil. Get out of my face. This is the end of the year. I don't want to talk about you anymore. I love you, Squirrel.
0: So hopefully we don't have to talk about it anymore because it won't happen. Let's get on. Yeah, let's Let's get get, on. Let's
1: get to this. The good
0: stuff. Uh, So we got the all time Mets lineup draft today. We got, it's going to be a good time. You're probably going to get mad at us for not picking your favorite player. Uh, I know you are. I didn't, I didn't expect
1: it, but you're going to get mad at us. They got, I already got, somebody yelled at me on Twitter last night when we previewed it, that says if John Olerud, if you don't take John Olerud in the first, like, we only have two first space. If you don't take John Olerud, this is a sham. I don't want to hear about it. I was like, man, sorry. I don't know. It is going to be, it's a tough, a tough world we live
0: in. Okay, so I think we'll do our random number generator again. Yeah. Decide who gets to gets where. All right, so I'm going to go 72 again because that worked for me last time. I'm going to go 39. Okay, upping it up from 13. I like it. Are you ready? Yeah. 81. They like the high number, man.
1: Hey, go for it, man.
0: What if I'm just lying right to your face? What if it was actually like 13? <laughs> you,
1: you actually could be doing that. No, I'm, I'm not going to try that. Longer, I trust I you. I trust you. This is it. You're, you're, we're, we talked about maturity in the first part. You're a mature man.
0: I appreciate You can it. handle first or second pick. Guys, Jerry doesn't suspect a thing. It's working beautifully. All right. So I took the second pick last time just to mix it up and divvy things up. I'll go first this time. So you got two and three, because I know you kind of missed out on that last time, kind of messed up your old draft. I'm not going to lie, but now I got to think. So I'm trying to tackle the lighter positions first. So I don't know if the captain is going to go first for me. Cause you also have a guy like Howard Johnson at third base who had a really good career with the Mets. I'd be fine with him at third. First base is a little thin after Keith catchers. He got two or three great guys to choose from. Second base is a little thin as well. It's kind of tough, um, but I I'd be remiss. I think I, I would get attacked by all fronts. Like you got attacked for not picking Siever first. So I, I will take the captain first, I think, just just to be safe. I mean, just to not get the, the masses coming after me. He's got the second most games all time, second most home runs all time, most RBIs, 196 stolen bases, seven all-star games, two silver sluggers, two gold gloves, which people forget about. Never got that shit, but that's okay with me because the captain uh, was the player of my upbringing, really. I mean, when I first started becoming a fan in 2007, 2008, he was the guy. In 2007, I really thought he would have won that, that MVP award, uh, but alas, it didn't come together. But, he, I mean, he was just the face of the Mets forever. He still is the face of the Mets. Uh, I'm I'm assuming he'll go into, you know, he'll get his number retired, or I think he already has. I always forget about those things. But David right at the hot corner, I mean, you can't really go wrong there. That's kind of a free first pick for me. Uh,
1: it isn't, I wouldn't say it's free. It's a great pick. David Wright, one of the greatest teammates I've ever played with. I always, you know, I kind of talk about this often when when David Wright comes up, I always thought the the C on your chest was BS. Like there's no captain in baseball. You have a group of guys. The season's too long to have to look to one human being. And then I shared a clubhouse with him. And I'm like, oh, that's what that looks like. I had just never seen it. It's so rare. You know, that's why like when you talk about Pete Alonso wearing the C at some point, I just don't, I didn't see it. it I could be wrong. You don't see it yet. I don't see it yet. Um, it's because David was, it's so rare to have your best player also be your hardest worker, Your your leadership style being outspoken enough he leads by example, but also isn't afraid to voice the way he held himself in the media. He basically taught an entire generation of Mets players how to be a professional. And that's amazing. Like the captain, that's that's the perfect summation of who he was as a as a leader, but also who he was as a player. Wonderful pick, easy choice um, at third. Yeah, I mean it's wonderful. There's a reason why why you got it there. You went with D right. I'm a little
0: jealous. And now wherever you go with two and three is kind of sh- going to shape my whole draft.
1: Yeah. So I have a, I have some choices. You, you talked about it. Um, I know one one position I'm going to go after, but I'm going to say that for the third pick, just so I don't get as much grief for taking him second overall. I'm going to go. I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with Keith Hernandez. I got to go first base. That's what I thought it's because it's because I will, I'll take Gary Carter or Mike Piazza. Mike Piazza is clear. Number one at catcher, but Gary Carter to me is number two. I, 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 there's too much debate at first base on two or three and Keith Hernandez deserves to be in the hall of fame. I'm not sure if it would be as a Cardinal or a Met, but for me, he embodies what the Mets are like watching, watching the 30 for 30, and seeing how much input he had on like going up to the pitcher and talking about, dude, stop throwing your, like that doesn't exist hardly anywhere anymore in the game because there's no more nuance. There's no more, it's numbers. Everybody can, you have to throw a slider because that's your out pitch in this situation. Whereas, you know, a guy like Keith brought those little things. He's like, this guy is so late on your fastball. Just bust him in and you'll be fine. You you don't really get that very much. Uh as Drupal Cabrera and I had a little bit of that connection where we would be able to talk because of where he sees things at shortstop and second base. Um, you know, there it's just a different level. And and watching Keith Hernandez and, and all of his gold gloves, just an underappreciated asset. Uh, I think he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. I I mean, I don't even think like the way he treated his vote. What is it like 2025? He'll come back up or 2023. Something it's like, like a weird, I don't know, but I think his value will be appreciated um, from the, from the committee coming forward. But I got to take Keith Hernandez as the first base first baseman. The, the, the ironic part is I think he might be doing his greatest work in baseball now. I think he's so good in the booth. It's his, his, <laughs> It's just between Gary Keith and Ron, like all their, their personalities. It's I think it's ironic that you have a, a borderline Hall of Fame career at first base, and then you you go to the booth and you're having a borderline Hall of Fame career as a second career. So he might be going to Cooperstown with with two plaques. I don't know how it goes, um, but but yeah, I got to take Keith Hernandez. That's a great pick uh, as my first pick. So I'm actually not even – so for my second pick, I'm not going to take Mike Piazza here either. I Mm. wanted to, out of respect, my former teammate in Oakland, Hall of Famer, got his number retired. I was there for the ceremony. Um, But I'm going to go at the thinnest position, so top-heavy. I'm going to take Jose Reyes as my shortstop.
0: Uh, Yeah, he was going to be my next pick.
1: I mean, it's really thin. Um, I, I'll talk about who you're going to take. I don't know who you're going to take, but I know who I would take uh, underneath that. But Jose Reyes, let me let me just give you, he's got 408 stolen bases, 113 uh, triples, all Mets all time, not even close. Like his, his war is like nine higher than anyone behind him and like 15 higher than three through eight or something like that. I was reading a Decomo, Uh, blurb about it like he's just so far ahead of everybody he's got a a batting title a silver slugger uh two-time all-star i believe
0: oh i remember that uh the batting title where terry collins pulled him after his first at bat and everyone was like oh bunt single i don't
1: care man do your thing you know not everybody is ted williams where where you're like i already have 400 locked up but i'm gonna go you know i'm gonna go out there anyway I have no problem with that. I've, I've seen I've seen worse things in life than a guy actually getting a knock to win it and then pulling himself. Wow. Again, it's an amazing accomplishment. A f- one of my favorite teammates, a fun guy, this guy is on a 10 energy level at all times. Like we'll be flying New York to Miami, play a night game Sunday night for ESPN, and then we're going to L.A., It's 340 in the morning, we're flying coast to coast and this guy's just pumping music in the back, just moving around, like just pure energy. Like, but it's not the annoying way. It's just like, how do you do it, man? What's what's your trick? I want in on that vibe. Just a fun guy, always smiling, listening to him and David go back and forth and seeing kind of how they came up. That one-two punch was spectacular. Uh, Jose Reyes is my pick at shortstop.
0: Yeah, that's an awesome pick. I was going to follow up uh, number four with Jose Reyes just because, you know, after him, it's, it's Bud Harrelson and Ray Ordonez, and that's, that's kind of it. Gets pretty thin there. I mean, Lindor will hopefully become part of this list one day, but it's far too <laughs> soon to say.
1: If he does not, if he does not become number one, I mean, Jose Reyes is a lot, but if he doesn't come number one, it's not, it's a failed, not a failed. It's a failure. No, I agree. If he brings you a World Series, but as far as franchise goes, you're counting on him to be the guy.
0: Right. And Jose Reyes was the guy for like a decade or so for the Mets. And he had two stints, of course, was really underrated in that 2016 season where the Mets kind of fought tooth and nail to get back to that wildcard game. He was really, he came in middle of the way and he was like, he wasn't that like spark plug anymore. He was a veteran presence, which I thought was really cool.
1: Basically his last six weeks, if I recall correctly, he was just doing everything. He, his body, he was getting older. You can tell he was being a little bit, uh, he was picking his spots a little bit more often, but he's he knew that we needed that boost in that 16 season, and he turned it on. It, it got him another contract because he was like, "All right, we you need me, I'm going to sacrifice." You know, there's no reason to to save anything, and he get, he left it all out there, and 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 it got us, you know, that playoff spot. That Connor Gillespie, man.
0: We don't talk about Connor Gillespie, man. I don't. Uh, Connor Gillespie. It's a great game. Otherwise, all right. So. We're on pick number four. You took Keith and you took Jose Reyes. Those are two great picks. I mean, you left Mike Piazza to me, so I'm going to snatch him up with my number four here. Yeah. I know catcher is not thin, but to have David Wright and Mike Piazza both in my lineup, I'm feeling pretty darn good about that. 972 games. I mean, 220 home runs. That's a whole lot of bombs. Third most all time in Mets history we really like, we didn't give up much to get him from the Florida Marlins who kind of took him in for four days and then shipped him off to us. And it was a real blessing in disguise Four silver sluggers, six all-star teams. Mike Piazza was the dude. He has one of the most famous home runs in Mets history uh, after the nine 11, uh, the nine 11 game there in 2001. So, I mean, Mike Piazza, he carried us, not carried us, but he was a huge piece of those 99 and 2000 teams that almost made it all the way. And, you know, one of my first favorite Mets, obviously I didn't get to see him play much. Cause I came up much later in my fandom being a younger, uh, younger guy, but, and I also used to pronounce his name, Mike pizza. Cause I thought his last name was pizza. And I thought that was incredibly cool. Um, it's but good. yeah, it is incredibly cool. And he did go into the hall wearing a Mets hat, which I loved. Uh, he could have went in as a Dodger and said he chose us, which I thought was great. Um, and just, I mean, it's, it's a nice position to have solidified and you kind of look at this list of catchers with, Piazza and Gary Carter and John Stearns and Todd Hundley, the Mets have had some really good catchers in their heyday. It's kind of been a while since we've had such a reliable backstop, but you go back to just 2000 and prior, I mean, this team had plenty of great guys behind the dish calling games, but Mike Piazza is definitely, you know, the, the top of the, uh, the cake there for me. So that's, that's an easy fourth pick. I kind of got to take him. That's two basically faces of franchises from different eras that I got in my lineup. feeling pretty good about it. Basically,
1: the two, two captains, if, if you will, like the two pillars of a franchise, uh, the one thing I like who do you so for me, when I think of we're we're doing the throwback black jerseys, right, Black Fridays, yeah. I think of Piazza in that jersey. I think of that that post nine eleven home run it's the it's like that's nostalgia that I have for him as a player for the Mets. That home run that you mentioned for the Mets, it goes beyond it's like a, one of the most memorable home runs up there, up there with, with, with Hank Aarons, um, with the, with the 98 home run chase between Maguire and Sosa, like it's up there, the Barry Bonds, Homer, I think, I think it, it's very fitting that, that that's where he chose to go into the hall of fame as a Met, because those are so such memorable moments. So that's a wonderful pick.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I think of all-time memorable Mets home runs, and I think of the David Wright World Series home run that he finally got his moment in the big show, and then I think of the Piazza home run. So I'm, I'm happy to have them both on my team because they just stick out to me so much in memory. But now I'm looking at my number five pick here, and I think, so I'm not going to take any positions that you've already taken because I can put those on the back burner. So first base, that's, yep, that's good strategy. going to wait. I think I'm going to go tackle our first outfielder, And I have two really good choices here in right field and center field. And I think I'm just going to get all three of the top Mets home run hitters all time. I think I'm going to (laughs) go grab number one all time. I'm going to go grab my guy, Daryl Strawberry. I mean, just like the coolest baseball player, like my dad's favorite, got to pick him for that. Of course. I mean, he did it all, man. 191 stolen bases, 252 homers, seven time all-star two silver sluggers. And of course, got the chip with New York in 1986. Straw was just a cool-ass dude. I know there was a clubhouse full of personalities, and he was one of the biggest ones for sure. But I think that having him from 86, Piazza from 2000, and David Wright from the most recent Mets competitive teams, it's just like the, a beautiful trio. I'm only really missing the 69 team now. Uh, so I, I'm I taking Daryl Strawberry with my fifth pick. That's, uh, I mean, your team is looking
1: unbelievable with the three like arguably the three greatest mets of all time it's looking good uh, outside of sieve outside of you know Seaver and doc good and you you've got a good but you're going to get thin that's what i that's that was the strategy i left i knew this would be your approach i was hoping you would kind of swing and miss on it a little bit um but you definitely did not so so there you've are still got, good I mean,
0: options for you though at these positions. there
1: are still good options the reason you know like i'm going to take i'm going to have good secondary options there so i've got to continue with that strategy of taking life th- yeah i've got i've got a i've got to kind of squeeze you out here a little bit
0: there's one guy you should definitely take in your next two picks i'm not going to say who
1: <laughs> so my my one pick i'm going to take is at second base and i'm going to take edgardo alfonso okay okay i think i think um i think he is kind of underappreciated in general as a player. Um I I love, I just love digging deeper on him. And the more I find out about who he was as a player, the things that he was capable of doing, what he meant to a team. Uh and then uh, for just as this is the one stat to where in today's era of numbers that they don't understand very well is like clutch. So He hit 318 career with the Mets as a with runners and scoring on a team. The last couple of years that begged for guys to get hits with runners and scoring position for somebody to hit that level on a career that just shows you like when the game's on the line, that that's who you want at the dish, like unbelievable, Um, unbelievable, but you know, he's, underappreciated like I I just feel like it was a little bit I I had a hard time taking him at at second base because I I I think of him as also a third baseman which is a little right yeah
0: it was tough to divvy up that way yeah the reason that I like Alfonso so much is just because all of his best seasons in his 12-year career were all with the Mets so I really do think of him as an all-time Met I don't picture him as a San Francisco Giant or any other team that he played for Uh, And it was, he was really just like a flash in the pan for us. I really like the runners and scoring position stat that you brought up just because he had so many clutch playoff hits like against the diamondbacks in 1999. And I mean, you know, he was the definition of clutch for us. And I do think of him as a second baseman, just because for those deep playoff run teams from the early millennium, he was at second base for us. And you know what? He was pretty damn good with that glove. He was really shorthanded in the infield. You know, he kind of reminds me of McNeil a little bit because second base and third base, obviously. And he did a little bit of everything. Yeah. But Alfonso, you know, if I was an active fan and not a baby uh, during 1999, then I think he probably would have been my favorite player on that team. I mean, that's that's
1: yeah, because you, people that watch him appreciate him more than just his numbers, the kind of things that he does. I, I I think that you summed it up perfectly. So. All right. So I took uh Eduardo Alfonso. So for my next pick, I think I'm going to go. I, okay. I am going to go, I'm going to go center field and I'm going to take Carlos Beltran. That was the one you had to do. I think he's the last guy. Uh, I still, there's a, there's a couple of guys that, that you can take here that I think are are very lovable Mets and deserving, but I think Carlos Beltran stays. He's the last of like the elite players of a position. Um more war home runs doubles RBI than any other Mets center fielder. I mean, if that doesn't sum it up, I think if that doesn't sum up how good he was, uh, as, as a center fielder for the Mets, then, then I'm not sure what else he could do. Yeah. He He's kind of known for that, you know, taking that strike three, but I'm going to give him, <sighs> I'm, I'm going to give him two, two things. One, He's more than just one single strike, and also that was nasty like that was a nasty pitch that's a Wainwright prime you know, not even prime early nastiness uh curveball like that's just it's filthy, and on top of that it was his his contract what was it like uh a hundred and nineteen million dollars i think
0: it was i think the biggest in Met's history at the time
1: it was the biggest by far in Met's history and he produced 31.1 war and he actually overachieved for that contract, which is so rare for a guy and with that big of a contract who had already had a great start to his career to come over, you pay him, especially in an era of overpaying for what guys did versus what they're about to do for you. I think the fact that he overproduced, that you still got a value from him is, is huge. I think his... His baseball mind that will come back. He was, he was our manager for what, two months. Um, there's some controversy around there, but, but it is what it is, man. He was a great center fielder for the Mets. Uh, also underappreciated defensively. Uh, he he was smart. He's a smart baseball player. Red routes would get jumps on guys. He's, he's just a great player.
0: Yeah. And you go, uh, you were talking about that uh, call third strike. I mean, in that same series, that same NLCS, three homers, a double, an OPS above 1.0. He was, you know, crushing it for the Mets and really carrying that offense. Over a thousand OPS.
1: I mean, he, he, he did a lot. It sucks that it came down to that one strike, that one called strike, you know, he did more positive than, than take strike three from a nasty pitch.
0: Yeah, and I mean, like you said before, I really like that you brought up the contract because that was not a that was not a thing the Wilpons did by any means. And they, they got this player and they really locked him up. And like you said before, he was really under, you don't think of him as a center fielder because he's a big bulky power hitter. But like you said, he read routes. He was deceivingly fast, always stole a decent amount of bases too. Over the five years he was here, he always had at least 10 in each season. And that's his trade awesome. netted us Zach Wheeler. So, I mean, even when he left, his legacy
1: I, That's what That was going to be my that's what I was going to say. My last piece would be even on his way out, a parting gift of Zach Wheeler uh, is a beautiful thing. So uh, for a guy to sign that big of a contract to, to give you not only what you paid for, but more uh, is, is incredible. Like that's that you got, you got what you wanted and more from that guy. He's, I think again, he'll be, he'll come back into baseball and maybe with the Mets who who knows what's going to happen, but uh, his legacy as the the greatest center fielder in Mets history is is pretty easy to, to consider,
0: like him, number one. So I think every position has been picked up except for left field. All right, so in that case, I'm going to go for left field. I'm going to take Cleon Jones and fill out my trifecta of National League pennants for the Mets. Cleon is the guy I think of when I think of the 1969 World Series, just because he's the guy that caught the last out. So it's a really easy answer there. But, I mean, Cleon, you know, he has one of the highest game totals in Mets history outside of the guys like Ed Cranepool and David Wright and Algarve Alfonso and all those other guys. Uh, he's above 1,200 at 1,201, 93 home runs, 91 stolen bases. He, he had a one-time All-Star, one-time World Series, the 111 OPS+. plus. But Cleon, this is kind of a not I I wouldn't call it a cop-out, but just like an external factor that I like. I just, I think of him when I think of the 69 World Series and I think of his smile. I think he's just like a, like a happy go lucky Met and I really enjoyed (laughs) just like, I have like a a poster of him uh, in my uh, weightlifting room and it's like the 69 Mets and all the faces of the franchise and they're all very serious and then you get to Cleon in the bottom left and he's just got this big cheeser on his face and I love it every time I see it. Uh, Cleon Jones, uh, one of my favorite all-time Mets that I was unfortunately not alive to root for while he was playing for us. And another one of these guys that, you know, he had careers, he had a career beyond the Mets, but he will always be remembered as a Met because that's where he spent his most time and that's where he did his best work. So I think that having him in left field for me, it's not, you know, the ideal number four overall pick, but if we're going for snake and positions and stuff, I got to take left field. So I'm going to take Cleon there. I think that's a great pick. Not, not
1: only did he have like the last catch. Uh, the 69, the Miracle Mets, like a, a magical season. Uh, he made the last out, like he'll forever be cemented in that legacy. But he was chased down a bad title from the left field. Like he hit 340. Uh, he got injured towards the end and, and Pete Rose overtook him, but but he got it together and made that push. And that was that, that met. he had
0: 340. Uh, 340. Seventh in MVP voting. That's crazy.
1: That's yes, that is beyond. So Cleon Jones is a, is a an easy pick for left field. I think that was the, the last, you know, it gets a little thinner up there. We'll we'll talk about some of the options,
0: um, but who is your next pick? Okay. So next pick would be number nine overall. Now I can finally tap into the positions that you snaked a little bit early on. So I'm looking at what do we got here? First base, shortstop, second base center field. Okay. So second base, I'm eyeing a guy. First base, first base. There's a couple nice options. I think I'm gonna go with our uh, our antsy replier from last night's tweet. I'm gonna tackle first base. I thought about taking Pete Alonzo but it's still too early. It's it's too early. I thought about taking Carlos Delgado, but I'm always gonna remember him as a Blue Jay more, just because that's where he had the four home run game and all those great seasons. You know, he was a great Met during his time here for the four years he was here. And a guy that was here for an even shorter amount of time also was on the Blue Jays, but just so underrated and such a great player that was never really appreciated on both sides of the ball is John Ulrich. So I'm going to take John Ulrich. He wasn't really a part of any of these great Mets teams, but when he was here, he did a lot of awesome things for us. And, you know, if you want to talk about all time underrated players, I mean, he might just take the kick. He had just three seasons with us, but he played 154 games or more in all of them, including all 162 in 1999. He was a big part of that wildcard team. Uh, Hit for power, you know, drew a ton of walks. So he would be beloved in the modern game. He drew 125 walks in 1999. He would be a a Joey Gallo with a high batting average. So, you know, not quite a Joey Gallo, I guess, but 12th in MVP voting during one of those years. You don't think of him as an all-time met because of all the time he spent in Seattle and Toronto. But I mean, if you're going down the list of the all-time great first baseman in New York, because Pete Alonso isn't quite there yet, because Lucas Duda had some down years, Ed cranebull had a ton of games, but he didn't really hit that well in any of them. It kind of comes down to... John Olrude being the second best of all time. You could argue Dave Kingman there if you really love home runs, but I think that I re- my whole channel and what I do for a living now is built around the underappreciated guys of baseball from past and present and future. And John Olrude fits that category. So, so perfectly. So I, I'm very happy to have him in my lineup as first base. I, I like the pick. I think that
1: short stint, I don't think I would take him here simply because of value to it so i love him and i don't disagree with you uh first of all i wanted to shout out to michael j fats on twitter at michael j fats so this is the the tweet you were referring to he said if john Olerud is not one of the two first basemen in this this list this is sham luckily for for michael j fats it's not (laughs) it's not a sham uh i think i think i might have gone ed crane pool here I mean, the the guy is one of the staples of the Mets. I mean, if you talk about just sheer volume of being a Met, uh, it's hard to it's hard to beat. Let's see. Let me just run through some of these stats here. One thousand eight hundred and fifty three games played. That's crazy. Another great nickname of Steady Eddie, and also his crane pool might be (laughs) one of the most underrated great last name. Yeah, great last name. But he you know, he was known for just you know, just being steady Eddie, being available, doing his thing. But he also hit 300 over 300 twice. Uh but as a first baseman, he only hit more than 15 home runs once. So, I mean, he didn't he didn't do what your typical first baseman does, and neither did John Olerud. So, it it's underutilized, but you went for efficiency quality over quantity and i think as an organizational i think i would have taken crane pool there but again that's
0: that's that's why i took keith hernandez because it gets thin there exactly you don't have to come to a decision if you just take keith so smart i contemplated taking keith first overall but didn't come together yeah i mean that's okay you got two picks here and you're trying to tackle third base catcher right field
1: and left field yep and so Gosh, where where do I want to go here? Uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with the kid. I'm gonna take my yeah. a catcher here with the tenth pick. I'm going Gary Carter. That's an easy one. It's an easy choice for me. You've got Piazza there, of course, but I think Gary Carter is maybe just as beloved, if not more so. For sure, uh, brought a World Series championship. Was kind of like the de facto captain. Very lovable. Very like your all American good person like uh the more i was around the mets the more i just like appreciated the positivity the family
0: man the the just the the smile that he always had on his face and it's such a great contrast to the rest of the 86 mets that were kind of like rubble rousers and stuff he stands out and he's and i think of him i have
1: him as a met as a start i have a starting lineup or actually my brother did, but I always tried to steal it. It was my favorite one. It was him holding his catcher's helmet, standing up, catching like a like a pop-up as a catcher, like the one of the coolest one of the coolest um starting lineup. Do you even remember? Do you know what starting lineups are? Uh, no, I don't So actually. they're like little action like that's crazy. You're gonna blow your mind. They're action <laughs> figures, like like solid action figures. Not your um
0: not your like like little figurines.
1: Like, yeah, you would get them at the, at the store and they were little figurines. They're about this tall, you know, but they were awesome. Lifelike, um, posable a little bit, but it was Gary Carter, like holding his mask and catching a pop-up super cool. I think of him a lot, uh, as a part of the Mets, you know, he was a long time expo, but I think his contributions were a little bit, um, undervalued because he's a five-time all-star he won the silver slugger three times and he led the team or helped lead a team to uh, a world series championship so i'm
0: I'm, gary carter's my guy yeah i mean he's he's the de facto number two catcher i think of all time that's like i said before they have some good ones in Stearns and hunley but carter was the kid i know it's deceiving because i i always picture him as a met and i think that you know he's here for so long But he has the least amount of games of anyone on our spreadsheet aside from me picking John Olroot. I mean, only 600 games here. He had the five years, Uh, you know, wasn't really like, was a really good power hitter. Wasn't like a high average guy, uh, which, you know, probably would have been frowned upon back in the day, less so now, of course. But still, Gary Carter, just such a likable dude. And like I said before, I think he stands out most because of just how different he was from the rest of the chemistry of the 86 Mets and how that still managed to work out and balance out, you know, that team.
1: That shows you the the kind of team chemistry and and personalities that you get a guy that's positive like that, like a Jose Reyes for us. it's yeah. always just energy and fun and 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 likable. Um, so that that's an easy pick for me. now i'm gonna go I'm gonna stay easy. i'm gonna go I'm gonna go third base here. I'm gonna take the the mentor to David Wright, the mentor to the captain Howard Johnson. Um, a pretty easy pick here uh he's got three 30 30 seasons which is crazy 30 home runs 30 stolen bases that doesn't that is crazy to think about I remember being on the 2014 nationals and we had Ian Desmond at shortstop and a young Anthony uh Rendon at second base right, he
0: used to play second I forgot about and that. Zimmerman
1: was playing third still kind of at the time he kind of moved back and forth but that was like a big thing was them to to be uh, a duo up the middle to get 2020. 20. And I don't think Rendon got there, uh, but that just shows you how crazy 30, 30 is. And he did it three times. He almost
0: got 40, 40 man.
1: 89. And that's crazy. And the in the 19 season, I watched I watched Ronald Cunha chase 40, 40. Yeah. and he's and it's, it's almost inconceivable. Who, who do you have? You've got Jose Canseco on steroids Jose
0: Canseco it. Alex Rodriguez Alfonso Soriano and then who am I yeah i missing one more there's four I think it's oh let me look it up while you keep going but I don't. it's
1: just a crazy thing to think about Howard Johnson is is I mean outside of outside of David Wright this was you know unless you take Edgardo Alfonso as a third baseman uh, I think it's pretty easy for him to slide in at number two uh, he also was on that, that 86 team that, that won. he took over for Ray Knight. I mean, one of, one of the staples of that team that was tough, but, uh, he's just a special player. And he came back to the organization that as I, as I kind of foreshadowed before and mentored David, right. He was like part of being in his ear, teaching him, you know, how to play third base little things that you, you pick up is, is special. And as far as being an all-time Met goes, he, his name is always come up as like people's favorite player.
0: Yeah, I think he would be even more beloved if David Wright didn't turn out to be the elite fantastic player that he did because when you look at third base it really is just David Wright and Howard Johnson. So I like that pick a lot. Also, the 40-40 season we missed was Barry Bonds in 1996. Oh, that's right.
1: That's right. That's a uh, pre pre giant head Barry Bonds.
0: Yeah, exactly. Pre-balanced breakfast, Barry Bonds. <laughs>
1: All right, so I think it's your turn. You've got second base and center field.
0: Yes. Oh, we're getting down in the nitty-gritty now, I think.
1: So, yeah, hold on. Uh, you went first.
0: Yeah. So that's pick number 11 that you just did. Center field is tough because it really is Mookie and Lee Mazzilli, and I think about them very similarly. Mookie doesn't have the accolades. He has the one World Series ring, no All-Stars, no Gold Gloves, none of that. He got a little bit replaced by Lenny Dykstra in 86, but I – I just love Mookie. I just, I really do. I I think Lee Mazzilli is a great player and I know he he had came back to the 86 Mets late in that season was a, you know, a big part down the stretch, but I mean, he Mookie has the 86 moment. He has the game six moment. That's just kind of the most famous moment in Mets history. The Bill Buckner ground ball. I know it wasn't even that well-struck of a ball. It should have been an out, but It happened and Mookie was the guy that hit it. So I kind of need to take him if I'm thinking of, I think last time when we did the pitcher's draft, I went pure results and I kind of did that with my old root pick. But I also need like Mets faces that I think of when I think of the Mets. And I got David Wright, I got Mike Piazza, I want Mookie Wilson on my team as well. The numbers are good. They're honestly not bad. 281 stolen bases. That's second all-time in Mets history. Nice 276 batting average. Obviously got the chip in 86. Played over uh, 1,100 games with the Mets, so he was a long-time Met here. And he's got maybe the best name in Mets history. I mean, let's think. Are there a better lot of ones? good ones? There's a lot of good ones. Like Ed Cranepool is a good one. Uh, Wally Backman's a great one. But I've... I love Mookie Wilson. I love that name. It's so good. That's I mean it's
1: it's pretty synonymous. I love that pick for you. Um he's he's one of the staples for me. You know, you uh, when they run highlights, when there's a rain delay or a pregame, it's it's Mookie Wilson up there talking 86. Um he's got a guy that comes around the organization that, that's contributing post-playing career which I love. Uh and you're right, man. He is a fan favorite. You talked about the 86, you know, the, the, um, the ground ball, the error, the Buckner, the Buckner boot. He was more than that. And I, I think there was a time, there was a time when he finished playing that he kind of didn't enjoy that single play because he felt like he was more than that. But he, I think he's come around to understanding that's such a big moment that he enjoys talking about it because people remember where they were, what was happening, who they were with, you know it's a moment in Mets history and baseball history that that he was a part of which is super cool and again you're right he is he is more than that he averaged like 34 steals hit like above 270 pretty much every year that's incredible and he played a solid solid center field so that's a good pick and everyone loves mookie
0: Yeah. Like that's another big thing. We talked about the contrast with Gary Carter, the 86 team, Mookie Wilson falls in that category completely too. Like a good hearted Christian kind of like family man guy, friendly face of the franchise. And from, I mean, not even including these uh, the Mets contention seasons from 82 to 84 in three seasons, he stole 158 bases in that 84 season, uh, 28 doubles, 10 triples, 10 home runs, 46 stolen bases. That's like, MVP contention type seasons. He didn't get any votes, sadly, but still, Rookie Wilson, back in the days where counting numbers were beloved and stolen bases were much more heightened in terms of importance, Rookie Wilson was a guy that you wanted on your team and a great glove in center field for sure. So, very happy with that pick. So, now I, th- I think so. What I have third base, I have center field, and no, I have s- catcher. Sorry, you right need field.
1: second base you, and shortstop. You got your up the middle, you got your double play combo.
0: Okay. There are options at second base. Definitely are. I like Wally Backman a lot. Another one of these scrappy guys uh, that was a big part of that 86 Mets team. But the World Series run that, you know, is the biggest to me is obviously 2015 because that was like, you know, when I was an actual person, not a youngin'. Uh, and of course, the guy that I think of when I think of the 2015 World Series is the guy that hit home runs in seven straight games and just became Babe Ruth for a month or so. And that's Daniel Murphy. I mean, I, I don't I can't think of a, a tougher pill for me to swallow ever when Murphy went to the Nationals the following season. And the Mets didn't want to bring him back. I, I couldn't understand it. I still really don't. But I'm still grateful for the time that Murphy spent here. Murphy was not a second baseman, really. I mean, that's not how he was brought up. He was a first baseman when he first came up. That was the position he played. And the Mets, you know, have a nice little track record of just kind of putting guys where they need them even if they don't really play there. But, you know, Murphy, he worked on it, man. He hacked it. Uh, It it showed in some instances. It didn't show in other instances. But I don't think of him for his glove. I think of him for that really smooth sweet swing that was always there even when he wasn't hitting bombs in the playoffs murph just had really good plate discipline i loved his batting stance i used to mimic it when i used to play baseball and uh i honestly daniel murphy murph that's like a great nickname for me as well and it just you can't outdo that 2015 run i mean that's always going to stick in my mind regardless of what murphy did after and who he played for he will always be a met to me in my mind
1: i i like the pick man um i would have had a hard time choosing murph simply because i think his best years were the next two plus second in
0: mvp voting the next year so i mean tough
1: yeah all of what could have been um it is what it is man like he he transforms and we talked about it we talk about all the time we talk about it you know with with um with baez is he that guy has he you know with with his plate discipline as he ascended to that level you don't know because it happened in such a short window but for murphy really did he turned it around and added to a value that he was already like just a really really good hitter uh and he became an elite offensive weapon top five i think he finished second
0: yeah second right behind chris
1: bryant as a national so i i I love the pick i love murphy um him and I battled quite a bit because he stayed in the NL East Uh, and I'll always respect him. He's, he's done a lot. He did a lot for the, the players association, but he was, I think, I think I'm going to, I think I would view him as a national though. Yeah. But that might just be because of me. I played with him one season in 15 and then he was gone. So I see him as a national and then Colorado um, uh, even the Cubs, I remember, yeah, he bit. got
0: traded there late in the season, yeah.
1: But, but for me, like he, he was so good as a national, like such a pinpoint of that middle of their lineup when they were really, really good. Uh, that's what that's what that's what I see, and that that's okay. But I think his run, uh, in 15 is simple. Like if you pick John Olerud for a small, he was so good, he played long, he's a Met,
0: I get it, but, um, I think I might have gone Wally Backman there. Oh, interesting. Yeah, Wally Backman definitely sticks out as more of a Mets face. But I, th- I think I have enough here. I have, I have Piazza. I have Wright. I have Mookie. Uh, yeah, that's I have good. Straw. Like I got, I got Cleon. Like I got Mets faces. So I wanted to go with production and memorability. I love it. Postseason. So I do. I, I do love it. I, I again, I think I might have taken
1: Murph, Wally Backman. I, I don't know. it would have been a last second decision. So I get it. All right, man. Back to you back to me so I'm gonna go with left field here and I have a little bit of a debate just like you did it's between two people for me it's it's Kevin McReynolds uh who was he had like two stints but really he he played 87 to 91 solid solid guy I mean you have Cleon Jones who's the number one and then I have between Kevin McReynolds and then my other pick is Yoennis, Yoennis Espedes. Oh, interesting. So I love. I think. I think what Yo brings to the table. It, I think people have a sour taste in their mouth because of how it ended, mm-hmm. and understandably, there's a lot of things that a lot of just not fun factors for for people to appreciate. Um, but his run in 15, he literally. He carried the team to the World Series and then Murf to the playoffs and then Murph carried the team to the World Series.
0: Yeah, Murph doesn't get his run without Cespedes.
1: One hundred percent. There's he doesn't even get a chance. Who knows if he becomes that player that he did in the playoffs? Like if he doesn't have that run where he decided to hit, who knows if he's if he ever becomes that that next level of of Daniel Murphy? But I love what Cespedes brought to the table. I love him as a human being. He's got one of the biggest hearts, but not just that, like he hit 17 home runs in the 31 games after they traded for him in 15. Crazy. Our offense was sputtering. We had just had the Wilmer Flores crying because we didn't get Carlos Gomez trade all the, all the above on the field. Thank God we didn't get Carlos Gomez. Who's a solid player. Everybody was kind of like let down. And then we get Yoana Cespedes. Like we get him like one of the power hitting right handers in the game uh and he did just that like Cespedes has hit 287 with a 942 OPS uh for for the Mets like that is insane made the all-star team in 16 yep uh, uh just it's just crazy he had a good run but i i think i think i'm going to stick with what fits in my my team. I'm
0: not Jerry. I'm not going to lie. You sold me. You just sold me. I'm not going to lie.
1: I know I like SESB, but I'm going to go with, I'm going to go with, I think the better option here. I'm going to go Kevin McReynolds here. Just a, just a good solid baseball player, Kevin McReynolds, eight OPS. And, and he, uh, he was just a, just a solid force in the lineup for a long time. He really helped solidify Daryl strawberry. I uh, always batted behind him. He was right in the middle of the order. Um, just helped, just just helped the team. Uh, he he finished third in MLP voting in 88. Like wow. Just a great player. So I gotta go, I gotta go with Kevin McReynolds. I just think he fits my lineup better. I like Ioannis. I just think in 10 years I might take Ioannis, but right now, if I'm picking all time Mets and I of my lineup, I think I have to go with Kevin McReynolds here.
0: I like the pick. I really like that. You mentioned the 1988 season. Cause that's a, you know, that's a almost pennant season for the Mets. They lost out to the Dodgers there. And if they make the world series, I think you, people remember that season a lot more from McReynolds. Cause he was the best hitter in that lineup, arguably third in MVP voting. I didn't even realize 27 homers, 21 stolen bases, 30 doubles, eight thirty two OPS. That's all very good stuff. So I liked McReynolds pick. I think if you picked SESPY, I, I, you still would have sold me on it. I think I still would have agreed with it.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a coin flip. I would go back and forth um, definitely there that was the one where I had like if I didn't choose first it was going to be whoever came up all right so now I've got one spot to fill you took maybe arguably the most like for me as a kid this is who I thought of when I thought of the Mets is Daryl Strawberry that sweet left-handed swing I have Michael Conforto whose stint with the Mets is one of the greatest you know, homegrown guys to ever play, he might come back and break a lot of these records. Uh, But I think that is an argument. And then the other one is, is for me is, is Rusty Stubb. He has a a place in Mets fans hearts forever. Mm. Uh, He also has one of the greatest nicknames actually not given to him by like Legrand Orange, like, it's beautiful. That's a that's Perfect. baseball. He also has just a good Expo. regular
0: name. Like Rusty is just a Rusty regular. Rusty
1: Staub. Name. I know. And then I have a lot. Like I have a. He passed away in that 18 season. Um, and we had the the patch on our on our jerseys. I think it was uh I think it was here. And I just remember, like people, the outpouring of love for him, appreciation for who he was as a player, just a just a gritty outfielder put his body on the line played hard went out and and just gave it all like he he was there was a a few things about rusty staub that i appreciate on a different level it is like he he wanted the post-playing career they're like what do you want to be remembered for and he said somebody that got the most out of their body and their ability and i love that concept because that was me i always wanted to overachieve what everybody thought i was going to be and so that was my driving force is like everyone always told me i'm going to be this is who you are in an era of numbers and projections this is who you are and my ability to overachieve was was something that it was a driving force And to hear Rusty talk about, he just wanted to maximize his ability. And I just appreciate that. And for a guy to go to play that long, to have two long stints with the Mets, shows you how much he loved the organization, how much he appreciated being here. So he is not my choice. I am going with another sweet swinging lefty in Michael Conforto. He is my last pick. Michael Conforto, Came up in 15, my first year there, and might possibly have been overlooked in his run uh, because of just what what uh, Daniel Murphy did in those playoffs. But he hit some absolutely huge home runs. He hit one in Dodger Stadium off off of Kershaw that was like just set the tone. It took the pressure off of Degrom in that game. I think was starting like he just he just had an eye for big moments and his swing is so beautiful i think that he is about to ascend to another level he's got that like easy pop like when he's hitting bp i remember even with like like Cespedes, Cespedes is just strong pete alonzo was really strong so when they hit the ball you they muscle it out conforto's strong but he's got like just a different level of of hitting the ball just sounds different off of his bat. And he's so under control. I think he's got another, I think his average is going to climb as as his experience level goes. So I hope the Mets still re-sign him. We'll see what happens. Um, but Conforto is 109 home runs as a Met, third most all time by any Met in his first five seasons. And he ended went on, he didn't have a great last year. And I think that's almost why I took Rusty Staub was because of how bad this past year was, how sour the taste is in everybody's mouth. But I think his his accumulation for for his first six year run, for how much he meant to our our World Series team, to the the next year's team playoffs, he was a bright spot when the team was sour. He became a leader. Like I got to watch this person evolve from a, a young rookie, you know, deer in the headlights look to the the veteran in the in the clubhouse the guy that that everyone turned to when things needed done or they had questions and to see that kind of transformation to see him do it with grace to see him handle there was a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes the last few years there's a lot of like just tough things to handle as a professional things that 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 get thrown your way that he never even flinched or talked about or used as a crutch. This is—he's just a pro. Um, I love Michael Conforto as a human being. Just got married. Congratulations. I wish him the best in free agency. But to me, he is—he is the choice for my right field. Um, a guy that played a better right field defensively than he'll ever get for. Known for bat hitting, crushing home runs, made unbelievable. Plays in the outfield, catches that were huge, had a knack for just throwing guys out when the game was on the line. Um, Very accurate arm. He came up and played a little bit of left field, a little bit of right field, but everybody was saying this guy can hit, but he can't play outfield. Everybody was saying it. And then he came up and I was just like, I don't see it because, you know, as a pitcher, you want, you're worried about guys not being able to make a play out there. And he did nothing but make plays, you know, he isn't going to win you a gold glove based on statistics. But when the game's on the line, he's, he's just a, a great player, I think is going to be appreciated more as time goes on. I think he's going to age well in a Mets uniform. Um, I would love to see him come back. Shout out to my man, Michael Conforto, my last pick and the right
0: fielder. Well discussed. I like that a lot. I like that you gave Rusty the spotlight he deserved because Rusty is a beloved Met, like for sure. And I think what you said last was really important is that it's far too soon to appreciate Conforto's time as a Met, just because, you know, technically he still is a Met and you know, I'm like 99% sure he'll be signing elsewhere, which is a bittersweet pill, but Conforto, like you said, he did all, he did it all in his first rookie season. He had a plethora of huge hits. Tons of outfield assists over the years, and really, we got to watch him grow up, which I think is really cool about a lot of these homegrown Mets over the last decade. So Conforto, great pick there. I like that a lot. And then, uh, so I got, I got two left here. I got shortstop, and I got manager. And then you go manager. And then I think we're we're done. So shortstop, if you're an older fan, I think you might be saying, okay, this is easy. It's Bud Harrelson, and that makes a lot of sense. Bud Harrelson is the only guy really rivaling Reyes in terms of like total playing time with the Mets. And just, you know, he has the, let's see, he has two all-star teams. He has the gold glove. He has the world series. There's a lot to like there. And I think I'm leaning that way, but I also want to talk about one other guy uh, who didn't play as much with the Mets. But the thing about him is that when I go back and watch highlights of this guy, uh, it's almost like he might be the best defensive shortstop that I've ever seen. I know right now we're blessed with guys like Angelton Simmons and all these fantastic shortstop defensively. Of course, we have Francisco Lindor right now. But I think the guy that I'm going to pick, it's probably going to, some people are going to love this and some people are going to hate it. I think I'm going to take Ray Ordonez at shortstop. Ray Ordonez is a tough at bat to watch. He was never a great hitter. Uh, always was a batting ninth in the Mets, even when you know with pitchers in the lineup and stuff like that only uh let's see what we got here i think it's eight home runs in seven years so that gives you a good uh you know perception of the kind of hitter that ray Ordóñez was but in the meantime i don't think there was anybody better at playing shortstop than ray Ordóñez, and i think that defensive value uh really wasn't valued back in the day and now i think it's a little bit more so now but still not so much ray Ordóñez played consistently for seven years pretty much solely because of his glove. He wasn't a base stealer. He wasn't a power hitter, wasn't a contact hitter, but he racked up three gold gloves in three consecutive years. And shortstop defense goes a long, long way. It's the toughest position to play in baseball, arguably in sports, maybe riled by catcher. But Ray Ordonez did it consistently for so many years. And, you know, if you're, if you're kind of confused and you don't really understand why I didn't pick Bud Harrelson, just go look up a Ray Ordonez highlight video and I think you'll understand why, because I don't think people really remember how good he was. I think the three gold gloves really sells me here. These are three earned gold gloves, a 4.0 defensive wins of Replacement placement in a single season in 1999. So that Mets defense in 99 that took them nearly to the World Series. A huge part of that was Ray Ordonez. And I think he's just a fun player to have back there. So I'm going to put him. Might piss some people off. I'm okay with that. I've come to terms with it. Or a shortstop. I would have taken
1: Ray Ordonez as well. You would have. Nice. I think, yes, because I think his value as a, as a defensive shortstop, as a pitcher, I love it. He won three straight gold gloves, but I think he deserved probably all seven. That was a, like, he came around in the era and they still kind of do it. Like Sespe won a, a gold glove. I, I love the guy. He was a highlight film, even in the outfield, but didn't deserve a gold glove because it was inconsistent. Ray Ardoñez was consistent. He did not hit at all. So that what was the year you said he he won? Uh was that 99? You're talking about four yeah 99 four was
0: his best defensive uh season.
1: It was also his best offensive year. Yeah. Where he hit 258. <laughs> he hit 258. He had one home run, uh 24 doubles, uh 319 on base percentage, and a 636 OPS. This was by far his best year, his OPS plus of 64. So that is, that is crazy how, how poor of a hitter he was. Like that is, if, if, if he played for the past five years um, of the Mets, I think they let DeGrom and Noah Syndergaard, Steven Matz, I think they let him hit and DH for Ray Ortonia. Yeah, maybe, just maybe, <laughs> seriously. <laughs> Gras, they rig, but I I would have picked him. You know, uh, Bud Harrison had just he was one of the staples, an Ed Cranepool type, you know, staple of the Mets and deserves his nod. But I I just that elite glove is just so beautiful to watch. Um, so I like that pick.
0: Yeah, so I mean, also he's a five nine king, which I love. Love a short MLB player because you know I can liken myself to him a little bit. Um, Yeah, I think people are going to get mad that we didn't pick Crane Poole and Bud Harrelson, and those are great all-time Mets. And I don't think we have the same appreciation for them just because, you know, we're a little bit of the newer generation. But, yeah, I like Ray there. I think he's the best glove the Mets have ever had at shortstop. Lindor may take that crown one day, but that remains to be seen. And then the last pick I got here is manager. And I think I'm going to shock you a little bit with my pick here because it is not the guy that led the charge in 1969 that I'll be taking for mine i'll be taking the guy that led the charge in 86 i think i'm gonna go with uh, Davey johnson as my manager the only reason the reason i say this is for two reasons one he has the most wins in a single season all-time of any mets manager at 108 that's the best season in mets history and two the 69 mets had some some magic going on and they were a miracle team and they really came together as a cohesive unit and pushed all the way to an improbable world series victory Whereas Davey Johnson, I really felt like I read uh, The Bad Guys 1, a great book by Jeff Perlman, and it really dives into the wrangling that Davey Johnson had to do to get all these personalities to work together and share playing time and not engage in bad habits as much so as they were doing before to try and come together and be the best team in baseball like they knew they could be. And I think that maybe if you have a different guy at the helm, that this team doesn't come together the way that they did and win the World Series in seven games. Uh, Johnson doesn't have the longest managerial record or the most wins or anything like that, but I think he has the most important season for us. I don't think there was another guy that could have been at the helm to lead that team down the stretch, like Davey, uh, like Davey Johnson did. So I'm going to take him. It might be a little controversial. It leaves you with a nice manager pick for your last one though. I really like
1: Davey Johnson as your pick uh, a quick, quick Davey Johnson story. So I played with team USA and Oh seven after this the big league season we went and played in the world cup uh and Davey johnson was my manager but he had just had um some type of throat surgery maybe like a polyp removed something along those lines didn't say a word the entire time <laughs> never got to chat with him <laughs> i you know we were together for oh, like a month and uh and i never really got a chance to speak we were, he he would like nod and i would chat him up uh, I got to speak to him a couple of times because he was with the nationals uh, a little bit. So I got to see him. And uh, obviously when I was with the Mets, he he would, you know, show up to spring training every once in a while. Uh, a player manager before there were player managers, you know, there's some controversy over, should he have stepped in a little bit more in the 86 to look after a guy like Doc Gooden, you know, a, a 19 20 year old kid to make sure that he was okay. You know, I don't want to get controversial and say you got to be a dad or anything here, but there are some other things besides winning baseball games. Ultimately, that's what you're going to get judged by. No problem. I love David Johnson. The guys uh, that I played with with Washington really liked him even later in his career. Uh, so I like that pick. He also was a World Series winner. Uh, I'm going to go with who I think is the other obvious choice, and that's the Miracle Mets manager. And I'm taking Gil Hodges. Of course. Of course. Um it's gotta be right. I think he is, would have been my first pick. Um, He took over a hundred loss team. And then two years later, won a hundred games like that, that turnaround doesn't happen. I've never seen it. Can you imagine like the, the pirates or the Orioles, you know, the, what I, the, the quickest one I saw was, was the Astros. When they came to the AL West, they were horrible. There were a hundred lost teams. And then they became the dynasty that they're kind of still in now, but that wasn't a quick transformation. This is unheard of Gil Hodges. When I think of managers, when I'm walking down that tunnel and seeing, you know uh, in city field and seeing all these pictures of, of great players and managers, I think Gil Hodges is the one I go to um, for the most because it's just, it's just, my I think he was he would be kind of like my favorite I, from from the films that I've seen about that 69 era um, about the way his players talk about him. Um, it's a beautiful you, you, you have Cleon Jones, right? So there's a quote that says, if not, if not for Gil Hodges, we wouldn't be standing here talking about the 69 Mets. And that is awesome. It says Gil was tough tough manager but everybody respected him he managed he managed by feel but he got the most out of every player that's that's art shamsky like the way people talk about him being tough it's like that's the parent that i want i'm going to let you be you but when you step out of line i'm going to be like hey let's go let's keep it together and you need that and gil hodges is is the, the 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 manager the miracle mets i needed to take somebody like that and and he's the easy easy driver of
0: yeah i think the managers were win-win there it was really just those two guys i think you know you have some other good ones in bobby valentine and terry collins but it's really davy and Gil when it comes down to To it to me
1: it was tc it was i actually like if i would have had second pick it would have been davy but i think you know tc was was
0: right there i would have been one two. you got some influence there makes sense yeah we're pushing 90 minutes here i just realized so we should probably wrap this (laughs) we can trim this up we can trim this up (laughs) we're all All right Guys, thank you for listening to today's longer episode. The drafts were a <laughs> ton of fun. We're definitely looking forward to your your feedback. Well thought out, lots of research put in. I'm kind of proud of us, Jerry. We deliberated for a while. I mean, well, I think, I, think I did day. too much. I get long winded. Nah, it's all good, man. Better than <laughs> not enough, you know. That's what people are complaining true. about. But uh, yeah, guys, we'll be back uh, sometime next week, hopefully with some more news or possibly nothing to to, to discuss about. But until then, uh, this has been a fantastic episode of Shay Station, Jerry. Thank you as always. Thank you, Jolly. Uh, and vote for Jerry. That's the. Simple. And vote for uh, vote for Jolly. as your parting message. That's all.
1: <laughs> all right. I guess. left flipped to the ground and the ball game is